0: This afternoon is John 20, verses 24 to 29. Let's read those verses once again. So John 20, beginning of verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not. have not seen and yet have believed thus far our text beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ as we look at our text Everyone doubted. Not one of them. Not one of the disciples. Not one of the women expected Jesus to rise from the dead. In fact, Thomas would have believed had he been with the disciples. And if he had been with the disciples, we never would have this account in scripture. What we have in John 20... Really, four accounts of people who are moved from doubt to belief. You, you have Peter and John who go into the, temp, the tomb, and then you read there that John saw and he believed. We have Mary who sees Jesus and she comes to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And you have the disciples who see Jesus and then tell Thomas, We have seen the Lord. And finally, we forms the climax of the entire Gospel of John. See the, the book of John has a prologue, it's in John 1, and then it has an epilogue, John 21. And then in between those two bookends, so to speak, you have the main part of the Gospel gospel ends with those verses in 30 and 31 where, where John tells us the purpose for his writing the gospel. He says there, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book. But right before those words Thomas's, the account of Thomas's doubt and his confession. So the question we need to ask as we come to our text, when we understand its placement within the entire gospel, is what is it about what happened here with Thomas that made John feel that of all the events that he could have recorded about the life of Jesus, what is it about what happened here with Thomas him to put it there to give him that to give it that place the answer is that it is a message for us a message that John is bringing to his readers to use the words of those verses in 30 and 31 that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ that we might be moved from doubt to belief Our text is a call to believe and to make Thomas' confession of Christ our confession. So this this afternoon I bring you the gospel under that theme. The theme of our passage is believe and make Thomas' confession your confession. His confession of Christ. And as we do that, as we see what's happening in our text we will we will do that learning from Thomas's doubt and also understanding his confession now as we as we look at his doubt jumping just out of sight. Now one of the children in the audience watching the play was so caught up in the moment that he yelled out, he's right behind you! Now as we read about Thomas, indeed as we read John 20, with all four of those accounts, we feel like that child. We know what's happening with Thomas. We know the truth. We've been let in on the true story. So we know that Thomas is making a mistake in his doubt. He has gone wrong somewhere. He's missing out on the gospel, and we want to pull him back. And so as we look at Thomas, we need to to look at how he got to this moment. This moment where he made that famous expression of doubt. We also need to see what he's saying in his doubt. So what what had happened a week earlier, the Sunday of the resurrection, they had been together in a room, a locked room, they were afraid of the Jews, afraid of the authorities that might come for them, and do the same thing to them that had been done to Jesus, and suddenly Jesus appears, and he says, peace be with you, and then he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side. were overjoyed. When they came to Thomas, they wanted to share that with him. It brought him the gospel, the good news. We have seen the Lord. Now Thomas responds by saying, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it words I will not believe it are emphatic in the original it is said in the most emphatic way it could be said you could translate that as him saying I'll never believe it I don't care what you say I'm not believing that it was too much for him What's he saying in his doubt? What is he saying to them? He's saying that he needs their experience. It's not enough for him to hear from them that they have seen him. No, he needs to have that experience. He says, I will never believe unless I have a physical and personal encounter with Jesus. In fact, it's, it's an over the that he is looking for. I mean, think about He wants to stick his fingers in the nail holes. He wants to put his hand in the side of Jesus. Those are his conditions for belief. He wants to completely verify how many people here say, I have to touch every single one of them. The demand is over the top. What was happening for Thomas is that the gospel of the resurrection was too good to be true. Even if Jesus had said that he would rise from the dead, even though the disciples had seen him and brought that good news to him, was too much. Thomas demanded that he have that experience in order to believe. It was was too big a jump for him. And that does say something for Thomas. He realized what the resurrection meant. This was on a different scale than Lazarus than the widow's son in name, than that little girl that he raised from the dead. If Jesus had been raised from the dead, then the whole world had been turned upside down. He understood that. The resurrection was supposed to happen at the end of time. You might remember Martha saying that to Jesus when Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says, Lazarus will rise from the dead. And she says, yes, I know he'll rise at the end. understanding, The resurrection was something that was spoken of in the Old Testament. It was something that happened at the end of time. But what happened now is with Jesus, you had the Messiah resurrected in the middle of time. It was too much for Thomas to believe. And he demanded extraordinary evidence. so how did Thomas get here? What's the origin of his doubt? Well, part of the origin of his doubt came from his standard for judging the truth, something that may have been there in his disposition, the way he he viewed life. We see him in other parts of of John as being a pessimistic but loyal follower of Jesus, someone who doesn't understand and whose The standard that Thomas used for judging the truth, for determining whether or not something was able to be believed, was his personal experience. Verifiable, observable experience. Thomas refused to believe the testimony of the other disciples. In fact, he also refused to accept what Jesus had earlier said. Jesus has said that he would rise again. But he doubted that Jesus' words were true. He doubted that the testimony of the disciples was true. It didn't measure up to his idea of reliable. You had God's word, and then you had verifiable proof. He seems quite rational, quite wise. But what he has done is put himself above. Was behind his doubt was unassailable. Thomas struggled to believe. That's a, that's a struggle that we all have because of sin, because of what sin has done to the world. The gospel is clouded. Our view of the promises are clouded. God seems distant. that to different degrees and in different ways. It's the struggle of faith. But when you come up against that, when you come up against doubts, the mistake we often make is that we rely on ourselves as the ultimate authority and the ultimate standard. Reason is elevated above God's word, observable data, experience is put above God's word, but when that happens, you need to doubt your doubt, and question your questions, God's word is true, God has spoken, and we, we have a reasonable faith faith that is built on actual events that happened in history but if we set up an unreasonable standard our faith will falter at the end of the day it comes down to saying i believe in god i trust his word sometimes wonder if we are more certain of our doubts and we apply a higher standard to the gospel than we do to our doubts. And that is what Thomas has done. He has raised himself above. He refuses to believe the gospel and he has that unreasonable desire for excessive That's the first part his standard for judging the truth he had elevated himself above God's word but another part of the answer lies in his isolation now that's a question night. Now perhaps he had dealt with his grief in another way. Perhaps he needed to be alone. It was only a day and a half after the death of Jesus. We don't know why he wasn't there, but the fact of the matter is he wasn't there. He missed seeing Jesus because he had not been with the people of God. That's something for us to think about as we are confronted by doubts Satan uses our isolation against us. He works on us outside of the communion of saints. We're we're vulnerable there. We're we're deprived of one of the tools that God uses in our lives. We're content to rely not only on our personal experience, but also on our personal ability to confront the questions of faith and life without help. simple, that's foolishness. So as we see Thomas, as we see him doubting, we must realize that doubting is not new. The disciples all experienced it. John's first readers experienced it. John included this account of Thomas because he knew that doubts would come. And he's showing us the way out, the way forward. Questions will come from within us. Questions that reject God. Questions that resist the gospel. There will be questions from the world around us. And there will be questions that Satan uses to, to needle into our minds and to pry us from Christ. To pry us from the comfort that we have with God. And the answer is not to embrace doubt. Expose it for what it is a failure to properly trust the Word of God. God is, and God has spoken in His Word. His Word is faithful, His Word is true. So rest on that Word of God. Now, Thomas. by Jesus, he doesn't simply say, oh, okay, so it's true, I, I believe you now. That's not what he does. Now he's moved to confession. He's moved to something much more than simply accepting that Jesus is now alive. So we need to understand his confession. And so what compels his confession? What happens is that one week later, he appears again. And this time Thomas is with him. And it happens in exactly the same way. They're in a locked room. Jesus suddenly appears and he says, Peace be with you. And then he turns and he speaks to Thomas. Now what a moment that must have been for Thomas. What Jesus does there is striking. said unless i see the nail marks in your hands and jesus says see my hands thomas had said i want to put my finger where the nails were jesus says, put your finger here thomas says i want to put my hand in his side jesus says reach out your hand put your hand in my side thomas says i'll never believe it." jumps ahead with his confession. He says, my Lord and my God. There's no need to touch. He believes on seeing. But what those words, my Lord and my God, say, they say so much more than, Jesus, you're alive. Now Thomas has understood what the word of God means. had spent the whole week reflecting on what it might possibly mean if Jesus had risen from the dead. Perhaps he was like Paul, Paul who was persecuting the Christians, and then he is converted and he spends all that time reflecting on what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? there with the disciples, and also that he had a way of making sense of what the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant about who Jesus Christ is. He understands that Jesus Christ is the son of God, God himself. He understands that Jesus is the one who is able to lay down his life and what that word peace be with you means. It wasn't simply a greeting. A new age had begun. An age that was begun by Jesus rising from the dead. The world had changed. Thomas gets it. The world had been turned upside down. saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are more than I had dared believe. But I believe it now. You are my Lord. You are my God. And those words that he uses actually form one of the most beautiful confessions of Christ in the New Testament. a testimony to the identity of Jesus Christ as God skeptic has been made the most has made the most profound confession when when John or when Thomas calls Jesus my lord and my god he's saying you are the lord yahweh you are god incarnate you are the all powerful one the one who does things is, but also a confession of who Jesus is for him. It's a confession that acknowledges the salvation that he has in Jesus Christ. It's a confession of the peace that he has. There only those who call Jesus my Lord and my God can have that peace that Jesus has brought by his death and by his resurrection. It's a peace that's found only sins there's also peace that's found in the new life that we have that Jesus gives us in his resurrection but Jesus goes beyond Thomas's confession Jesus says because you have seen me you have believed now this is not in the sense of oh now He doesn't dismiss Thomas for his doubt. And that's gospel to us as well. Thomas has struggled through it. But Jesus has brought him through. And Jesus commends his faith. You believe. But then he says something more. He goes beyond that. He says, blessed are those. Jesus told Thomas to stop doubting and believe. He's basically saying you, know, you should have believed based on what you already had. Now, Thomas was blessed by being able to see, but Jesus is saying there will come a time when people will not be able to see yet they're called to believe. Blessed are they seeing with Thomas is a bridge, a bridge from the eyewitnesses to those who believe based on the testimony of the eyewitnesses. In Thomas, we see that transition from faith based on seeing the signs to faith based on the the testimony of those who witnessed those signs. We're like Thomas. The word of Jesus, he had heard the testimony of the disciples, but he hadn't seen him. Thomas had what we had, and he was called to believe. Faith to us, just as it was to Thomas, may seem impossible, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit-inspired, reliable, trustworthy word of God. saying that there will be those who come without that experience of sight. Peter says the same thing, 1 Peter one eight. He says that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You're filled with an inexpressible and So that we might believe so that we might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing we might have life in his name that's the wonder of what christ did with thomas in the providence of god thomas was absent that first sunday night so that jesus christ these words to him a week later. By the spirit, John was moved to include that account for us, to speak to us, to tell us, to believe the word of God, to realize that the word of God is trustworthy. It is based on events that happen. speak to us about how reliable the word of God is in relaying historical fact. And that is true. These are events that were written shortly after they transpired. They're largely verifiable. But we don't submit our faith to our standard of how we can verify them. Scripture is trustworthy. God speaks to us through it. your doubts, your unbelief. Embrace your Savior, the Savior that John presents before you in the Word of God. Don't demand the experience of the disciples. No, take hold of what God has given you in His Word. And by the power of the Spirit, believe that Word. Rest in God, not in yourself. Embrace that confession of Christ that Thomas makes. Say, my Lord and my God. There will come a day when you will see Christ. In that day, you will say, my Lord and my God. now respond to the proclamation of the gospel by singing hymn 81, the stanzas 1 through 7.